0: Amen. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Looking good. It's good to see all of you here this morning. It's good to be together in person and welcome those of you who are online as well. Uh, I think it's, it's important if you, can, um, if you can take the risk, um, and uh, all of life is a risk, but if you can take the risk to be in person, um, I think it's a, a very good thing to do, to be together. There's just something about coming into church and seeing one another and being in the same space um, as best we can, keeping each other um, as healthy um, as uh, we can, as is possible in all of life, right? Um, we, are, we do know life has a beginning and life has an end and in between are lots of different risks and so um, we, we need to be wise about that, but there, it, is, it is a good thing if you can be here um, to be here like this, and it's great to see all of your faces. Again, those of you that are that are watching online, um, welcome, welcome to this time together. We're beginning a new series uh, this morning, and so I want to give just a little bit of background. Just, uh, um, uh, I'm going to give some background on the text, but um, I want to give a little background on how do we how do we choose a new series. Um, so we are still preparing for a short series that actually might not be se- sequential, um, but I am. I'm getting in from you some questions. You know, what are your God questions? Uh, we are going to do that series. It might be a, that we do like one Sunday here and then another one over here where the series is called Tell Me All Your Thoughts on God. What are the questions, the Bible questions that you have? Um, maybe the questions that you've struggled with or wrestled with. Uh, we've named that series. Uh, there's a, a in 1995, uh, a rock group, Dishwalla, wrote the song. Tell me all your thoughts on God. And the next line goes, because I really want to meet her. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's really interesting choosing the, the feminine pronoun. Uh, little did they probably know um, how uh, rather transphobic that is uh, to choose a feminine pronoun. Um, who knows what pronoun God could be? I mean, that could be a, a God question, right? Um, how does God reveal him or herself? Well, we know there's an, actually an answer to that question, and there's a reason behind all of that. Um, it's in the scriptures. Like, we can go to the Bible and we can answer those questions. Now, I'm going to tell you this the Bible doesn't answer every question. You know, there are some questions we have to say, well, the Bible doesn't directly address that. It may indirectly address that. But the Bible does give us everything that we need to know for life, for living life. It gives us that basis of why we're here and who God is and why we are, why we are living. And so we do have some questions. Um, many of you are in small groups and you, um, this past week, you went through the book of Obadiah. and You read Psalm 137 in your study where you read that last verse and it's about um, the, the children you know, of the enemies of Israel dying. And it's this psalm like, and it says, you know, Something like praise when they're, they're, they're dashed upon the rocks. And you read that and you're like, how in the world can this be in my Bible? And you read things around that prophecy of Obadiah. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. And uh, you, you read the war language, the hyperbole that's in scripture about um, uh, erasing all of the Amalekites. And how do you make sense of those kinds of things? Do we have just this bloodthirsty God? Well... That's where many of you in your, in your small groups, you took a step back this past week, and you looked at that prophecy, and, and you looked at a, a biblical theology. Many of you did. Not every group did. You looked at the biblical theology of where does Esau appear in Scripture? Where does he appear in Scripture? All the way through to Jesus, to the book of Hebrews, and realized that Esau and Jacob are real people, but they're also a type. Um, They stand for this war that's within us. In fact, um, they're mentioned coming out of the womb. They fought in the womb, and we will have this wrestling between the flesh. There is this this war. And so like the Bible, when you begin to look at it, you begin to look at it as the literature that it is, as it is presented, um, rather than this kind of ad hoc dismissal um, that many people who have not read the Bible, they'll encounter these strange or difficult texts, and say, see, they'll make an accusation or take the, take the, uh, the verse or, or passage out of context. Um, but we're dedicated to the study of God. You know, it's in the, in the church that we can ask really good questions and really hard questions. We welcome anyone who's struggling with anything from any background, race, creed. And The Bible has, the, it's the word of life and it's, it's here for us. And so we, we want to open up and ask all of these questions. You know, you might drive through the community and um, you see a, a moniker, a motto on uh, a particular brand of church. It goes something like, um, um, open hearts, open minds, open doors. That's really good. That's a good thing. Um, but our minds, our hearts, and our doors as we preach um, are like, our, like a mouth, right? Right? And so if you, you, you're going to go to lunch, well, just, um, you know, kids, you're here and, you know, you can you say, hey, the pastor talked about this. Try eating your food without closing your mouth, right? Um, truth is like you, when, when we are presented with truth and we have open minds or open hearts and including church open doors, right? We're, truth is like, it's, it's, it's like mouths. Mouths are meant to close on truth, right? They have to be open to it, but you also have to close on it, right? In order to make it a part of your life. Otherwise, it just like, it's just all relative. And so we, we, want, to, we want you to know that, that church, worship, small groups, it's a safe place to explore um, anything that you're thinking about. But all of our thinking Needs to come in line with the thoughts of God, God's thoughts. Right? So it's so yes, tell me your thoughts on God, because I, I really want to know them, um, but I want to reflect on the Word of God, the Word of God. So I have a lot of thoughts when I am going to prepare a sermon or sermon series. One of our Bible study, um, one of our Bible study principles um, is that we understand, we bring a lot of things to the text. And so as we bring things to the text, the text is meant to, um, to talk or have a discussion to those, with those things. Um, and we have to be careful that those things that we bring to the text uh, don't press themselves too hard on the text, right? Because then we're just simply making the text say what we want, but rather allow the text to speak to us. So what are some of the things as we go into the book of 1 Timothy— um, that are going on in your, your pastor's mind. So let me give you just a few things, um, both that I'm reading and that I'm thinking. And here's my goal. Is, is my goal is, is, is simply this. It's not that my opinion matters um, or even my thoughts matter. It's that the scriptures matter. I just want you to understand why we're approaching this, what's, what's happening in, um, in my heart and my mind as we open this particular book. Um, in, in the scriptures. So we just moved from the upper room discourse, a lengthy portion of the gospel of John that we moved through as we were in isolation and COVID. And and um, as, as we continue, we finish that in John 17. And so we're going to work our way through what is called a, a pastoral epistle. Well, there's a couple of things um, that are happening in my mind. I just finished a book that's brand new. It came out by a um, an Orthodox Catholic. His name is Rod Dreer. He writes for the American Conservative. He's a very good author. Um, he's an excellent, excellent author. In fact, I, I would commend and recommend um, this book to you. It's called Live Not By Lies. Live Not By Lies. It's an excellent, excellent book. And uh, what he noticed, being um, an Orthodox Catholic, so the, the church is divided, Catholic Church is divided into two sections the Eastern, that is Orthodox, and so you'll hear the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church, and then the West, which is the Roman Church or the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so there's two sections. So he is a, a part of the Eastern Church and uh, has contact um, with um, those that are from the East, from, um, from Czechoslovakia and um, Central Asia and um, in some countries in Western Asia where the Orthodox Church is, is prevalent. And what he noticed is he, he began these conversations with immigrants that actually had um, gone through communism and uh, were in, under communism um, in Poland, and Hungary, and in Russia. And they were recognizing things a decade ago, and even more so, even right now, of what's happening in America and in the American church. And it is a tolerance of a soft totalitarianism. And so there's some things that are happening in our culture. Uh, so this book is very, um, it's very political in in a sense. But if, if you want to get away from like the uh, the strange politics and look at a, a, a ten thousand foot view of what's been happening since uh, the late 1800s and up till now, and some of those things that are influencing um, our thinking, um, and that's very important as a shepherd, as a pastor, and as as a Christian, you need to know what's happening in the world around you. It's very important. Our faith is, is political. Um, our, our faith is, is very important. How we live is very in, important to who we are and how we function in society. And so, so this, this book has been very influential. And I thought, as I, I read through that, along with a number of things, I thought, well, what, how can we land? And there's one key principle, we'll get to it this morning, that, um, that Rod Dreher talks about. In that book, Live Not by Lies, um, that, that the Apostle Paul instructs uh, Timothy in 1 uh, in Timothy. There's also a, a second book that's been influential, is called The End of Youth Ministry. And it isn't, I was a youth pastor for, um, for a long time. I, I started a, a Korean church uh, with a friend of mine in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and had college students, high school students, and Korean War veterans. Um, and then went into youth ministry in two different churches, the same pastor um, for over a decade. And so um, that's where I did a lot of ministry was in youth ministry before coming to Northbridge Church. And so this caught my eye. And certainly we are, um, we recognize at Northbridge that there's a, a, a cultural change. Uh, this book, The End of Youth Ministry, written by a Lutheran. Um, and uh, so different brand of Christianity again than, than what we would subscribe to here at Northbridge, but nonetheless very insightful, um, made, made two observations that when I was doing youth ministry, uh, parents uh, shaped their household identity in different ways. Um, in the 80s, um, however you want to label the 80s or the 90s, um, it was really hands-off. Parents were like, they, they kind of shooed the kids out the door into programs, and it was give my child space so that they can have their own identity. And really around 2000, uh, there was a, a major shift. And perhaps you've heard of the helicopter parent. Well, that's a, um, that is a, an exaggerated form of the change that has, has taken place. And it is rather universal in our homes that parents are now shaping family identity, not by giving children space and freedom, but rather being right there with them in all things. And so it's this identity. What's, what's very interesting about this is that parents are not, by and large, and speaking to Christian parents, not making space for spiritual identity. Spiritual identity is not the driving force of family identity in Christian families, or families that claim Christianity. It seems like an odd thing. Um, but you'll, you'll notice this. I mean, we were raising our kids... And when our kids, I mean, they're, they're past high school. Um, but we thought it was an odd thing. Um, but we did it sometimes. Nonetheless, they would go to football practice. And perhaps you'll notice this same thing that, you know, we would go to games. We thought that was the important thing. But as we dropped their kids off for, like, football practice or, you know, whatever they were going to, we noticed that all the parents were there. Like, what's with this? And they were watching the whole practice. Like the whole thing. And so, you know, being in ministry, you said, well, we probably should stick around and we would do that. And, and it is rather interesting as we've driven by, although we're in a different season, to see that same phenomena happening, this like family identity where mom and dad have the schedule, they're driving the schedule, they're driving their kids from activity to activity. And the things that they think are important for childhood identity. What's really interesting about this is that by college, um, not only are young people rejecting the identity that their 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 parents are giving them by and large, because they are not influenced by mom and dad as much, there's some other things taking place, um, but they're rejecting their faith as well. So there's some interesting dynamics that are happening politically and with family identity. Guess what? The Apostle Paul deals with both in First Timothy and these pastoral epistles. There's something else, and it was an observation um, when you put kind of these two different, Um, uh, texts apart from the scripture, so we refer to the the sacred text, these texts that are not sacred texts. We also have our our small groups. They both talked about community and how important community is. And uh, Rod really talks a lot about how uh, community under communism and how actually the church grew in places like Poland and Hungary and Russia and they grew uh, under this uh, oppressive, totalitarian uh, society. They grew because people were knit together in tight communities around God's word. So very important. And how there is that family identity was one of those things that if you want to, to, if you want to control people, um, what you need to do is two things. Isolate them and dismantle the nuclear family. Those are the two things that are essential if you want to control individuals. Isolate them and dismantle the nuclear family. We can very clearly see that that's happening right here in our society. So as a pastor, what I want to do is, there's one other factor in this. You're in the Old Testament right now in your small groups. You were in the minor prophets mostly, right? So I didn't want to go. We, we haven't finished yet the book of Exodus. We will go back to that. But I didn't want to get like a lot more Old Testament. I felt like even though we've been through the, a large section of the book of John, I really I really sensed that, that we needed um, a balance in what we were studying in the Old Testament. I mean, you guys, God bless you. You've worked through Daniel chapter 7 through 12 in one week and then the small book but the book of Obadiah that's like what is this and all these Old Testament like you've been studying your way and isn't it great I mean it's grand it's wonderful I love the Old Testament but I think that's why we have the canon of scripture 66 unique books put together and so I think there is some balance when we consider our diet and what our intake is so that's why I want to spend some time as well um here in uh, in in the New Testament, in the pastoral epistles. So let's jump in. Um, this morning is not so much in the way of preaching, um, as it is simply an introduction um, to this to the book of First Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, if you would take them and turn to First Timothy, um, if you uh, go in, the, it's in the Old Testament near the back, and uh, so you'll get to. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you'll see several books that are 1st and 2nd. 1st and 2nd Timothy are in the middle um, of that. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and then 1st and 2nd Timothy. Um, just looking this morning in our scripture reading um, is 1st Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through, let's read through 7 this morning. We're just going to look at the introduction though, verses 1 and 2, maybe verse 3 if we get to it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding Either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray over this series. That's my desire this morning in these few short words. Uh, for even in that opening of the book of 1 Timothy, we can see these same things repeated. Uh, for we have those that have confident assertions, they have confident beliefs, but they have, veered from the truth of God's word. And our goal this morning, as we study this, this book, our goal is a, a charge of love. Our goal is that the gospel would change our heart. that the gospel would purify our conscience. And that we would be people of sincere faith. Lord, you have called us your children. And it is good to be your child. And so we ask that we would walk in that way as children of our Savior and King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're so these are the, the what's called the pastoral epistles. These are letters from the Apostle Paul. They include first and second Timothy and, and Titus. And they reveal to the church what the church is to be like. So Paul is writing here, he's writing to, to Timothy, but he's writing to a to a co-worker. So so understand this that um, there's books that are written to churches in general. This is a little bit different. Right? This is a letter that's written to a particular person, a co-worker, somebody who has experienced some time and life and 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 all kinds of things in the um, evolving ministry of the Apostle Paul. So, so there is this personal nature. Um, yet, at the very same time, this book was uh, was meant to be circulated. So, you're going to see some things in this book of First um, Timothy uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing. He's writing to ministers of the gospel, and so it has this personal element. And we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that that in mind that Paul is writing to these co-workers in the faith and we'll see here in this in this book that these co-workers in the faith are are part of a church the church at ephesus and timothy is the pastor or or the elder one of them um, at the church at ephesus and here we see in we'll see in this this text how important that our part is how important membership is participation in the life of the church. Um, We'll see in this text that that we have not been saved by Jesus Christ to live as isolated individuals. We've not. Um, But we've been brought into what the text calls a kingdom and a family. In fact, the text uses this word household, that we are a household. That's a very important word in this book, and so as we look at this book, the subject matter should be very important to every Christian, um, and not simply just to pastors or just simply to elders, um, because we are all participants in the body of Christ if we are in Christ, and we are all church men and church women. We we this is this ought to be very important to us. How is it that we participate in church together? I probably don't need to convince you that talking about this is needed in our day. I mean, you think about it. It seems that many Christians attend a church without ever asking the question, what is the church according to Scripture, right? We have a lot of God questions, um, but we oftentimes answer those God questions ourselves to ourselves, and then we find how shallow those answers really are, right? Right? What we need is we need God answers to our God questions and God calls us into a household and we ought not to think we know what that looks like or what that is, but rather we should go to the scriptures. And this is a wonderful way to look at that. How do we live together, not as isolated participants in the world, but rather as ones that are called out, connected together, united together in what the Bible describes as a household. A household of faith. There's a key verse. Um, it's in First Timothy chapter three, and verse fifteen. Let me read this key verse, and maybe you can underline this. There's actually, um, I would say, there's probably three verses that this, this letter hangs on. This is one of them. First Timothy chapter three, verse th- thir- um, excuse me, verse fifteen, says this: that you may know how one ought to conduct himself. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's a wonderful verse. I can't wait to get to that. There's so much in that that verse. How ought we, how ought you to conduct yourself in this? And notice the nature of the church, this as a household, we're we're united. How is it that we are united? And how am I to conduct myself? This church of the living God, right? This isn't the blow your dust off of this, some just ancient dusty text, but rather um, this is living truth of the living God who's active today. And it says the pillar and the support of truth. What is that? You realize that if you're participating here, and those of you online, you're participating together in the life of the church you are participating in what God's Word calls this, the pillar and the support of truth. I think we're going to discover that the church itself, um, not just our church, but the church, the church universal, all those that are united in Christ and, and that are visible in the local church are the support and pillar for truth in the world. That's how important your redemption, your that Jesus bought you with his blood because you as children as adults as those that 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 are nearing the the end of this journey we call life right have an important role you have an important role the the struggle is that oftentimes when we're young we're like yeah I'm just kind of young yeah and and you get caught up in other things and then you get in in the middle of your life and you're I'm just kind of busy. And you get to the end and you're just kind of like, I'm worn out. The Bible says, wait a minute. You have a purpose. You have a role. You're part of something. You're the pillar and support of truth in the world. The problem in our world is that we've moved from post-truth, where everything's relative, to now we have militant truth. Don't disagree. Shut up. Let me tell you. I'm not saying that. This is what other people say. Shut up. Let me tell you what truth is. All of a sudden, somebody's eyes got like really big. I was like, better qualify that. Right? That's what we're being told. Let me tell you the truth. Oh, don't speak. Let me tell you the truth. Yesterday, tr- all truth was relative. Today, it's don't speak. Let me inform you. The Bible says no church is the household of the living god the pillar of truth in the world so this book is if that's that's the case then i need to take care you need to take care of how we conduct ourselves in the church from my perspective and it certainly is limited there's there's one thing that oftentimes drives the church and, and that is that is a thing called pragmatism. Pragmatism. You now, oftentimes that's how the church ends up being structured and the responsibilities of a pastor, the responsibility of church men and women, um, the, the work of being in church. It's more pragmatical than it is theological. Um, and it's not to say that there, there's a war between that which is pragmatic and that which is theological. I think the word of God does work right the word of god does work right but we have to be careful that we don't throw out god's words simply to be pragmatic you know, setting aside that the concerns that we have in the church of america today let us as we move through this examine ourselves in the course of this study and ask do you have the proper view of church right you think about that now and we're in an odd time and some of you are worshiping at home Um, and uh, we can do that now. That's a good thing, but is church at home on YouTube and Facebook, is that really church? Can we really call that church? Now, again, this is, we can put a parenthesis around our, our health and some of those things that we have right now, so my goal is not to, if you're worshiping at home, make you feel guilty because you're not in the room. That's not my goal. My goal is for all of us To consider God's word and ask, do we have a proper view of church? Are we doing what God's called us to do according to the scriptures? And are we prepared to do it for generations to come, even if we are faced with difficulty? Even if we are faced with difficulty. Um, What we have seen in the last six months is the pragmatic church in America is one that will die because it is solely based on pragmatism. But the the church in America that's based on the word of God, regardless of the circumstances, will thrive because it is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the pillar of truth in the world. And so we need to ask ourselves, how ought we to behave in the household of God? This is going to be a good and timely study. I'm excited to go through um, this book together. So let's consider just this first verse here, just the first opening phrase rather quickly. So Notice a couple of things. Paul. So that's how it opens up. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this, Paul identifies himself. Um, traditionally, this is the man Saul um, that we saw in the book of Acts. He was converted on the road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of the, of the church. And he was called by God to spread the gospel. It was Jesus Christ who made himself known to Paul himself uh, on the road to Damascus. And it's Paul who works particularly amongst the Gentiles. You can learn all about him uh, by going to the book of Acts and reading in Acts chapter 8. And it is Paul that pens most of the New Testament from Romans um, all the way through Philemon. It says here that he is an apostle. So notice that he is an apostle, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. He was not the only apostle, he was one of many. An apostle is one that is an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, to Jesus in his resurrected state. And Paul met Jesus um, on the road to Damascus. Um, So we, we need to look at this. Um, that um, Paul says that that he is um, an apostle. What is an an apostle? I mean, an apostle is one that saw Jesus in his resurrected state, uh, but is, in the New Testament, has some particular authority, um, has authority in the New Testament. The the, the New Testament apostles um, reflected on the Old Testament scripture, but it was the apostles that were declaring the word of God, and so it's, Paul, the apostle, that has a particular kind of authority in the New Testament. Uh, Paul had a particular kind of authority. Paul in the New Testament speaks like an Old Testament prophet. In fact, we could say it like this. The Old Testament prophets were those that spoke for God. And it's the New Testament apostles that speak for God in that early forming of the church. And so we could say that, The beginning of the church, the foundation of the church, was built on um, the prophets, the apostles, and the cornerstone, who is Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. So they spoke in a particular way. And so Paul writes concerning the future of the church in this book, in 1 Timothy. But it's important to note in 1 Timothy, and this is where we need the text to shape Our understanding of what's happening in the church and in the world. In in this book of 1 Timothy, he does not say that apostles are to be appointed in the church, but rather elders and deacons. Um, In fact, um, elders um, in in the text, um, it is more than just implied. They do not speak with apostolic authority. That's not what I'm doing this morning. I don't speak with apostolic authority, but I'm called to preach. And teach to preserve, the way Paul puts it, preserve what has been entrusted to them. So any preacher who says, I've got a word from God, is actually denying what's in the text. We don't get a new word from God. The apostles, Paul, moved and wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God called him to write in the scriptures. And we have the canon of scriptures that era is done. It's over. It's, and so we have now pastors who are to teach the word of God, to preach the word of God as it is in God's word. And so I'm not here to say I've got a word directly from God for you. No, rather, I'm here to expound the word of God that you have in your hands, that you can read, that you can understand. And we're called to do this together um, the, this is very important because apostolic authority and the nature of God's word or the nature of revelation go together. And there have been certain streams, certain brands of Christianity within Christianity that do get this wrong, that do get this wrong. Um, from from the, the Western Roman church um, to the, the, the Pentecostal stream that will say, We have a word from from God that believes in continued revelation in addition to the word of God. Um, And so there's nuances to to all of that. So I I say that in general. um, We can talk about that in specifics and church history and all of those kinds of things. But the apostolic age, the age of apostles who have seen Jesus in the resurrected form that speak in this way is, is over. We have the word of God. We have the word of God. So Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus, commanded by God our Savior, uh, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. He writes to Timothy, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus. So, so we see that it's written to Timothy. Timothy is, is um, never a central figure. In the book of Acts, where we see Timothy, um, from Acts 13 onward, Paul, who's also called Saul, in his ministry journeys, take center stage in the book of Acts. And, but we do find Timothy there in the background um, of these stories that are taking place. Um, he's a faithful companion of Paul. Consider Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. And also in Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. We could also read from 2 Corinthians 1.1, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians 1.1, and Philemon 1. We see that Timothy doesn't take the center stage, but he is with Paul. And Paul refers to him here, refers to Timothy here as my true child in the faith. Um, it probably means that Timothy was brought to faith um, or matured in faith through the ministry um, of Paul. Um, Paul refers to Timothy in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, as beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And in Romans 16, verse 21, he says that he is a fellow worker. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, he refers to Timothy as God's co-worker um, in the gospel. Timothy is first mentioned in Acts, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, where we read, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was also a Greek. And so it's important to the story to see that his heritage came from two different places, a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Um, We also know that um, in 2 Timothy 1.5, his mother's name was Eunice and his grandmother's name was Lois, and that they were faithful women who taught him well. And so that's part of this story that we will look at and talk about, that he worked um, with Paul, um, that he um, was able to go and continue ministry in places that Paul was not able to go. He probably was in his young 30s, he was a young man, and he did have a struggle, we'll see that. In the book and i think it's an appropriate struggle it's one that we are wrestling with um, a, in a number of different ways because paul addresses the issue of fear and timidity and so I'm, I'm not sure why that was maybe he was shy and timid in that way maybe it was because this was a day of great opposition to the word of god um, he, he i've noticed noted this before but it's important to note um, that Timothy was um, a co worker, a co worker uh, in the gospel. He, he brings him in to this work um, of the gospel. And note here that he, he blesses Timothy. He says, Timothy, my true child of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He blesses him. Right? This is an opening blessing. God's grace that as he pens this um, to a dear friend, a dear coworker, grace, mercy, and peace. Notice those words: grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the, the place that Paul believes this blessing comes from—that grace, mercy, and peace come from the Father. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We could go back to last week's message and preach that all over again. Notice that salvation here is Trinitarian. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the, the work of the Father through the Son. It's the grace of God that grants union with the Father, which results in peace and and the placing of, of wrath upon the Son, which results in God's mercy upon us, not giving us what we deserve, but rather it's the Son who carries that. Is there any worse thing in life than to be an enemy of God? There's nothing worse. And here, Paul blesses Timothy, and he blesses him with a good news, a salvation blessing. Well, what's the theme of this book? Um, the, the theme, let me, let me just mention a few things about the theme of this book as we wrap things up. Um, Paul was very close to Timothy. We see that in, in his blessing here, in the, the words that he opens up with. One of the themes that we see is that he is not simply writing to him this companionship letter. But rather, he's charging Timothy with particular responsibilities. So we need to note that, that Paul is charging Timothy. Right? That's, that's, a different, that's a different sense. He's saying, go get him, go do this. He's encouraging him in that way. He's commanding, in a sense, um, in that way. Second, um, he's charged um, to do several things, one of which that takes center stage is to confront false teaching within the church. Notice verses. Three and four, remain at Ephesus so that he may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculation. And so there's a charge, we're going to see this, to, to charge us not to teach. Right? So um, this is particularly relevant to us. We've come through a time where um, people didn't want to listen to God's word because, well, that's your truth. Well, now we've, we're moving into a time and we live in a time where uh, that's not so much the, the way people live, but rather they have a truth and it is an absolute truth. But yet it is a speculative truth not founded on God's truth. And so he's charging him to, uh, to confront false teaching within the church. Thirdly, Note that Timothy is exhorted to establish and maintain order. He is to devote himself to lead in good order within God's house. Um, he says that these kinds of things, devoted, people devoted to myths and endless genealogies, these speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The stewardship of God that is by faith. So Paul um, charges Timothy to put order and, and we see this throughout the book. And that's why I pointed to, to um, chapter 3, um, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one, is, uh, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So Paul is, is charging Timothy and that's, that is one of the themes and it is directly connected with this idea of the household of God, the church of the living God, that the church of the living God is to be properly ordered and that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of truth in the world. So let, let's wrap this up together. So Paul says these things, and, and my remarks are simply introductory this morning. I'm introducing the series. But I want you to, to, to think about these questions. Um, what is the church? Do, do you clearly know what the church is? Do you have an idea? Have you looked into the scriptures? What is the church's purpose? And What should be expected of me as a member of the church? What, what does God expect of me? What, what is God expected from ministers in the church, pastors and elders? We have to be aware of our presuppositions, uh, maybe even some of our pragmatism. And we need to ask, how do we behave? How ought we to behave in the household of God? And so we respond. We respond with that truth. And so maybe this is your, your prayer this morning. You would pray this or respond in this way, and I would in- encourage you to do this, to say simply, I'm a child of God. Lord, help me to learn how I ought to behave as part of the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. We're going to give you just a few moments, a few moments to pray um, before we respond in the room here um, with Communion and coming together and remembering that it is Jesus Christ that brings us together in this household of faith. But if you're at home, um, I would encourage you to take out the Northbridge app um, or to go to the Northbridge website and to just take some time. Fill out that connection card that's there. Fill in your prayer requests. Let us know what your God questions are as well and respond to the word of God. Let me encourage you during this time. And, and you might, we have kids in the room, you might have kids in the room at home, uh, but to be fully present, right here, right now, right, there's not a whole lot of time during your week where you simply just get to take in that deep breath, and center yourself, and say, God, what is it that you would have me to learn? How are you changing me? How will you change me? As together we journey through this very important letter of 1 Timothy. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the word of God this morning. And again, I ask your blessing on our journey together through this book. Um, It's amazing, no matter how many times we turn to the word of God, how timely it is. It's almost as if you speak to us through it. (laughs) It's because you do. This is your mouthpiece. It is your spirit that speaks through your mouthpiece and speaks into our hearts and our lives. Uh, Lord, our our neighbors and our friends are desperate for the truth. And we know that because of sin, um, they are lame and blind. Some are seeking. Some have given up hope. Others are so disenfranchised with the world around them. They've simply hardened their hearts towards you, towards love. There are those that are deceived. And there are those that that are deceived and they they are being led down a path of destruction unwittingly. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would change us, your church. As we look to the church here in 1 Timothy, and even as the Hebrew writer says we've been surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, may we look down through the ages to the church that has endured, that has been refined like fire. And may we learn from the word of God and from the godly that have gone before us how we ought to live as a household of faith, as people of the truth in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.